You're like four seconds late, pal. I don't want to hear another word out of you. Jesus. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make the day make sense. I'm Kai Rizdal. And I'm Kimberly Adams. Thank you for joining us for What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, the day in the week where we answer listener questions. So if you've got one, a question that is about the economy or business or technology, email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org or leave us a voicemail. Our phone number is 508-U-B-SMART. That's the letter U, the letter B. Thank you, Amy Scott. U-B-SMART. And uh, today, by the way, uh, we're going to lead with a newsy kind of question about President Biden's decision to cancel um, some student debt in this economy. Um, And we're going to go straight to that first question. Hey, make me smart. My name is Beth. I'm calling from Toledo. Hey, Beth. Why aren't we using the bankruptcy system to determine Mm -hmm. who can discharge their student loans? Mm -hmm. It's got means testing. It's got reviews of the financial situations of the individuals and can resolve everything on a case-by-case basis. Make me smart. Thanks, guys. Love the show. I mean, the cynical answer is that it's just too much money. And Tr- trillions of dollars. Trillions yep. of dollars. And the relevant industries and lenders involved probably will do anything in their power to stop that from happening. But actually, there are a lot of people who've talked about this idea of using bankruptcy process to get rid of student loan debt, including Larry Summers, uh, who tweeted about this on Tuesday. Yep. Problem is, it's really hard to do that under the current system. Student loan debt is basically not allowed to be discharged in normal bankruptcy proceedings. So in bankruptcy, you be- you basically tell the courts, look, I can't pay my bills. You got to help me out. And some of the debt gets you know discharged altogether, especially after a certain period of time. Other debt, you get to renegotiate or whatever. It depends on the type of bankruptcy. Student loan debt, you can't do that. And this, there's a super high bar that you would have to meet to be able to do it. And it's called undue hardship, which doesn't apply to other forms of consumer debt. And so you're still obligated to pay your educational debt, even if you file bankruptcy. There's a lot of conflicting views on this. Some people are saying, yeah, we should do it because, you know, as we just heard, it's got means testing. Mm -hmm. And Beth had a really good point. It's a really robust system in place for it. Um, But on the other hand, there are a lot of people who file for bankruptcy when they can pay their bills and use it as a mechanism. And there's a lot of concerns that that's what would happen at scale. I mean, you only have to look at the former president's use of the bankruptcy systems to to see that that has some potential for abuse. Um, But a lot of people feel that those fears are overblown and that it really would help out a lot of people in need. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. I got nothing to add. Yeah. All right, then. Next question comes from Bill, who wants to know, will congestion at U.S. ports be worse than last year? Should individuals start placing their orders now for holiday gifts? You've had your eagle eye on this one. I I did. So the short answer is, let me take the second part of that question first. Uh, And the answer is, yes, you should, just because you never know. And while it is less bad now than it was last year at this time, my money would be that there will be some holiday gifts that will be delayed. So order now, order often. Um, Is it going to be worse than last year? No. Mm -hmm. Um, It's already started to ease. And let me just give you a number. Last, uh, this past January, uh, we had at the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach, through which come 40% of all containerized cargo into this entire economy, we had 109 ships stacked up and waiting out there. 
Um, now it is in the mid-20s uh, as of like a week ago. So it's really, really down a lot. That's the sort of structural backlog. But there are some other things going on, right? There's a, a strike negotiations, labor negotiations going on. Um, here on the West Coast ports, um, a lot of companies have been rerouting shipments to East Coast parts, which is causing a traffic jam there. Um, the short answer is that the supply chain is still not great. It's mm-hmm. way better than it was, um, but it's still, you know, a little dicey. So, um, you know, buy early for the holidays. Um, don't expect everything to show up, you know, next day. And, and um, you know, we got to wait it out. There's, there's no other answer. I was hanging out at the hotel bar last night and sat next to a woman who had just been on a tour of the port of Long oh, yeah. Beach. And she was talking about how, like, astonishing the automation there is and how there's just, like, so few people moving these giant yep. containers around. Yep. And I wonder what all of this backlog, all of these supply chain problems have done for, like, the push to even further automate those systems. Yeah. And... You know, I've somebody I think it was Megan who did a story about how the longshoremen negotiated their union contracts that when they were going to have fewer workers, they'd get trained on how to use the new systems as part of their older contracts. But like how few people can you have? You know, Okay. there there is that joke about the last factory in the United States. Have you heard that one? I'm guessing it's like dog and the man. No. Oh, man. So so the man there's the last factory in the United States has two. Um, beings working at it. One is a man and or, or a person, uh, and one is a dog. Uh, the person is there to feed the dog, and the dog is there to make sure that the person doesn't touch any of the equipment. <laughs> right? That's a good joke. I like that. That's a good joke. Like that joke. That's a good yeah. joke. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to talk money and politics and elections uh, with this next one. Hi, this is Ted in Columbia, Missouri, hey, halfway Ted. between St. Louis and Kansas City home of the Mizzou Tigers. Mizzou, Question. Yeah. I was just listening that Liz Cheney lost her election bid or her primary mm-hmm. bid. Wyoming only has one representative yep. and she has staff in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. and she has probably staff in Wyoming. She does. Who pays for that and how does all that money get raised? Is it through fundraising uh, this is a big rabbit hole. I would appreciate a little bit more clarity on this. Thank you very much. Thanks for making us smart. Bye. Well, thank you, Ted, and cheer on the Tigers for me, <laughs> as I've mentioned perhaps more than once Maybe on this once, podcast perhaps. I went to Mizzou. Uh, but it's a it's a good question, and the answer is we pay for it and other people pay for it. So <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone. That's right. All right. Because Liz Cheney was running for office, she actually has two different sets of staff. Like most members of Congress, they have their campaign staff and politicians in general. They have their campaign staff and then they have their working staff, their congressional staff, including like the chief of staff, the legislative director, the press secretary and the people who work in the various district offices, because usually members of Congress have a couple of different offices within their state because their districts are so large. And those staffers are indeed paid by the federal government. Their salary comes from a budget that Cheney gets to run her office. And that budget is determined by things like the cost of living in the district, 
how big the district is, how far the district is from D.C. and like travel cost and things like that, price of real estate. And so everybody gets a budget for their staff. However, those budgets don't necessarily go as far as people would like them to go. Like having lived in D.C., you have a lot of especially junior members of congressional staffs living in like basements and group houses. And it's it's really rough. And so there's been a big push for people to get better pay uh, as congressional staffers. And some of them are trying to unionize or in the process of unionizing in some cases. So that's the congressional staff, right? The other staff is the campaign staff. And that's the staff that gets paid by sort of this, what we talk about more and more talking about money in politics, the big donors, the PACs, the small donors, her own money, if she chooses to use it, loans that she might take out, all of that money can go into the campaign to pay for those wonderfully highly paid consultants uh, in Washington and elsewhere. So there you go. Good question, though. That's a really good question. It's a really good question because it's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Our next question comes from Becca in Connecticut. She says, please make me smart about the supposed hard seltzer bubble. Y'all mentioned it in passing this Friday. (laughs) Yes. The best part of the hard seltzer bubble is that it's almost over. And I say that as a guy who, you know, prefers big, chewy beers as opposed to light, frothy little seltzer things. Um, Mm -hmm. So here's the deal. It started, I don't know, like four, maybe five years ago, you had White Claw and a bunch of others, Mm -hmm. which were alcoholic seltzer waters, usually like 5% ABV. Um, They sort of appealed to health conscious people, people looking for something lighter than than beer or actual booze. Um, (laughs) And now, though, the the fizz has gone out, um, shall we say. According to one analysis, saw this in the Wall Street Journal. Thank you, Marissa Cabrera. Um, hard seltzer sales uh, at the retail level down 18% year-on-year for the month of June. Uh, the company that makes truly expects volumes to fall 20% this year. Sam Adams, which brews Sam Adams beer, also has uh, a, a hard seltzer division, which had to write down um, at least tens, probably hundreds of millions of dollars worth of value wow. um, because it's not selling. Mm. Um, theories uh, vary. The market's become crowded. It's no longer new. People are going back to lighter beers. Um, it's, uh, you know, the, 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 the fizz is gone, as I, as I said. And I I'm never okay really got into the hard no. seltzer no. thing. You, you know who really likes it, though? My nieces and nephews. I mean, well, they're like 24, 5, 6, I whatever. mean, but that's a demographic, right? Right, right. Exactly. That, exactly. That's exactly that's totally, who that's was totally. drinking it. Yeah. And now, I guess, they're being even more health conscious right. and not drinking as much? No, I don't they're know. drinking. My, my, my nieces and nephews, that's a whole different <laughs> I mean, my issue with them was that they were usually like vodka or gin-based. Right, right. And... I don't like, well, you know, gin is the devil. I don't mess with gin. Oh, is that right? Oh, God, no. Um, Bad experience? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll tell you that story yeah. off of a microphone. Yeah. Um, but yes. So, but they're vodka or gin based. And I'm generally, if I'm something with fizz in it, I want like a brown liquor, you know, right. and okay. not, not necessarily a vodka or something. Anyway. That's save save that for Friday. Okay. Final question of the day from Amy in New York. I remember in the early days, <laughs> mm-hmm. I always bought my phone or usually got it free, and then everything became a lease. Mm-hmm. Now I'm due for an upgrade, and there are no more leases, only options to buy. Can you make me smart about this industry shift? Yeah, you go. You take this one. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, okay. So as somebody, I should say full disclosure. I don't 
buy new phones, and I have not bought a new phone in probably like five years. I buy refurbished Uh, old model phones and buy them outright because I'm a klutz and I know I'm going to break it and it's just not going to be worth it. But there has indeed been a shift in how these cell phone plans work. So back in the days of those two-year contracts that would come with a free phone, yeah, those are mostly Mm -hmm. gone. That's because carriers at the time were basically subsidizing phones in exchange for that multi-year contract. Remember how impossible those were to get out of? Mm -hmm. Or they were adding kind of hidden fees in that for that phone in your contract. And eventually companies stopped doing that. And that's when you really saw the price of cell phones shoot up because they weren't being bought in bulk by like Verizon and AT&T. You were buying it yourself and maybe you could get a discount on it when you signed up for a plan or something like that. But to spread out the cost of these super expensive phones that are what, like a grand now or something like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah, they give you the option to pay for it installments and basically bundle that into your monthly bill. So a huge chunk of people's phone bills now is, you know, your payment yeah. on your phone. Uh, there are still a few options out there to to lease your phone, but the downside is that if you don't own your phone at the end of the lease, and right. given how expensive phones are, you might not, you have to pay a buyout if you want to keep it or to get a new lease or buy a new phone. And then they're like, oh, but if you want to renew your lease, you can get a free upgrade and it get you caught. Yeah. Anyway, as far as uh, Marissa Cattell and her research, T-Mobile seems to be the only major carrier to still offer a lease options. And mostly people are giving just discounts to folks trading in old devices. But let me tell you, refurbished devices, way to go. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's really smart, actually. I mean, like, it's really smart. they come with the same warranty, yeah. usually. And yeah. you can get a couple hundred bucks off of the phones. Yeah. And huh. if you drop it, you feel a little bit less badly. Yeah. No, look, it's super smart. Super smart. All right. Uh, that's it for us for today on this Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Back tomorrow with the news uh, and some smiles as well. Indeed, indeed. In the meantime, keep sending us your questions. Our email is makemesmart at marketplace.org, or you can leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART. Oh, you're dancing again. It's so bouncy. It is, it is kind of bouncy. It is kind of bouncy. Make Me Smart is produced by Marissa Cabrera. Olivia Zhao is our intern. Ellen Rolfes writes our newsletters. Today's show was engineered by Charlton Thorpe, Ben Tolliday, and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music, and our senior producer is Bridget Bodner. What? Bouncy theme music. It's bouncy. Yes, bouncy, bouncy theme music. Uplifting, even. Yeah, that's true. I yeah. can do that. It's uplifting. There's a little swoop in the end. That's right. <laughs>